You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. The Rambam says in Perak Aleph of Hilchos Moloch, and you can see it up on the board, Navi Shekimid Melech Mishar Shipte Yisrael. Let's say a, a, a Navi decides there's going to be a king who's not from the Davidic line. Okay. And that king is doing things properly, although he's not from David. That means he's involved in his military stratagems in a positive way. That's part of it. Isn't enough. What makes a a king, even a, a king not from the house of David, considered a king, is these aspects. The two go together. So the Rambam says such a person is a king. And you have to honor him. So that would mean that you know, we talk about one of the great tragedies of the Jewish people's history is the splitting of the dynasty, of the Davidic dynasty. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, in the first commonwealth era, the first base Hamikdash, there was Malchus Yisrael. Were those Malachim? Did many of the Jews who lived under their auspices have to treat the Melech with the respect that a Melech needed? Could they be killed for being Morig Malchus? Could they say, ah, I don't, you are an illegitimate king? The answer is no. And of course, this has relevance to the Hashmanoyim as well that we've spoken about. The Rambam says that is a melech. Of course, you could they could coexist. The real Malchus is the Davidic line. And just like the, uh, the a Davidic king, the child of one of these other non-Davidic kings would have the right automatically to become king over that area. The Rambam proves this from the Novi itself. Now, let me just parenthetically make a statement here. This area of halacha, of how a government and how war works and how a king is supposed to function is not based totally or even primarily on the sources in the Mishnah and the Talmud and the Tosefta. All of the uh, medieval codifiers, and it's not many, it's only the Rambam and others, you know, in the Rambam, let's say in Chumash or others, the Barbanel, they base themselves on Tanakh. They base themselves on our history of Melchit. And it's from there. We saw that last week, those of you that remember. We saw that the Rambam proves his case that you need to be Dore Shalom to the um, to even the Amalekim and even the uh, Shiva Amen, even the seven nations from the Psukim by the Givonim. So the Rambam, and, and, and these are sources that, that are not necessarily quoted in the Talmud or in the Mishnah and Tosefta. In if, other words, if, if I may interject, uh, Rabbi, yes. may I? Yes, I, I guess my point, Dr. Kohn, I hope people understand it, is, is Tanakh itself serves as a halachic basis for what a melech should be. We saw that last week in a number of places. One was the Pasuk in Yoshua, and the other was the Pasuk in Shmuel. So a halachist who's trying to craft a, a code of conduct for the future king of Israel will use the works of the Nevi'im to, 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 to set that up. The, the Nevi'im themselves, an understanding as we call Tanakh or Nevi'im, understanding those and understanding what was going on and knowing the characters in the Navi and what they stood for is itself a, a halachic um, uh, precedent 
and can now be used as the basis for a code, as the Rambam says here. And I'll get to your point in a second, Dr. Kogan, because look what happened. Achia Shiloni, as we know, came to Yeravam, and he said, you know, the, the house of Shlomo is no longer worthy. Shlomo's excesses, we talked about that last week, have, 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 have caused the Malchus to fall apart. It's not going to happen in Shlomo's time, but it's going to happen in the time of Rehovah, which is when it did occur. But Achia Hashiloni warned Yeravah, and he said, You're going to have a pretty darn good Malchus. You'll see. It's going to be pretty darn good what you have. You're going to have quite a, 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 a dynasty. But you've got to follow the Torah. And he's right. Uh, and you're going, right? So you see that we don't just say, oh, this is some ira- a story that Achia said it. The Rambam assumes that that could be halacha lamaisa. That if, and it might even occur in the Imosa Mashiach, perhaps. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there'll be another Navi, and the Navi will have some rival king. Or who knows, maybe we could have a Navi even before the Imosa Mashiach who's going to set up some other person as king. But we see from Achia Shiloni that that is what you need to do. And the Rambam says, so what would be that righteous king? Which means his wars have to be wars for the sake of God. But that's what solidifies him as a, as, as a king. Dr. Kogan, you wanted to make a point. Yes, it's not exactly, but it's just, uh, I, I have a strong su- uh, suspicion that I know that the Rambam was the court physician to Saladin. And okay. Saladin, who was not even an Arab, he was a Kurd, but he was a very efficient ruler. And we know that he was quite you know, righteous in terms of the Jewish people and so on and so forth. And he replaced uh, the direct line of Muhammad. Uh, that were corrupt and they were even though a direct line and you know, today's Shia Sunni split has to do with that until you know it, it happened it uh, goes on until today so I wonder if the Ramba saw something that somebody who is not uh, of the proper Yichus could be uh, a better <laughs> king in terms of qualities just historically speaking that's how okay, I see that's it that's fascinating too Again, you mentioned this last week, those of you that were on the Zoom and might have heard the class, uh, Dr. this was your point last week as well, that the Rambam is influenced by um, the, what he saw around him. His sense of Melech couldn't help but be informed by uh, the, 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 the uh, Islamic culture around him. And you're sort of saying something similar now, that the Rambam's model of a positive king, although not a king according to the complete king according to the Torah, could also be something the Rambam observed. Uh, it, it is possible. I, you know, to me, um, you know, I, I would be wary of making such uh, assumptions. Um, I, I do, but this I don't think is an assumption. The idea, and we're going to see the Ramban and the Rambam clash horns about how to view Tana, how to read Nevi'im Inksuvim. Is it what was it proper? Was it not proper? And is it part of the codex? Should it become part of the codex or part of the code of what a king should do? Or was it only some strange story? Um, and and that that I think is, is is means that normally when we when we when we look at these debates, we we feel that they they play out in in Mishnah, in Tosefta, in in Gemara. What I'm saying is in this area how they read Tanakh, how they read Nabi Miksuvim is also uh, a funda- creates fundamental differences between them. Okay. I want to talk about Amon and Moab and Midian. Now, um, the Rambam says that there is a mitzvah, and again, here the Ramban disagrees with him. We're not going to go into that aspect tonight, but just know that the Ramban disagrees about sending the messages of Sholom, of sending Sholom to all uh, combatants. The Ramban, the, the Rambam says that even Amalek gets a call for Sholom. And, and I know the Rambam's source for it, from the Sifrei, where we talk about Godel HaSholom, Sholom is this greatest thing. So, but 
again, it's, it's, it sounds strange to most of our ears that people that we see as the embodiment of evil, we're giving them a chance to live, right? You know, we, we send them with Shalom. I mentioned last week that the terms are, 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 are the type of terms which probably, you know, you'd have to be extremely desperate to accept them. Many nations would not accept them. And as the Rambam said, God had to, didn't have to nudge the psyche uh, so, uh, so powerfully to, to cause these nations to reject them. But let's, the Rambam explains the, the, the and I didn't go into this last week, uh, and I'm going to read it today, the, how the, the, the call for peace went out. So the Rambam says in Hilchos Melachim, there were three basic messages that were sent, three missives, you would say, three royal letters. Um, right before he got there, the first one was, "We are coming. If you want to leave the land, leave the land. Leave the land to us. You can run away. We're not going to exterminate you. Okay, because we're not here yet." The second was, if you're still there, there is a way to make peace with us. If they didn't get an answer on the second one, they sent a third letter. A third, again, I don't know if you would call it a letter, a delegation. With, and what, was the, what was the delegation of the third message? Misha wrote to You're staying, you should realize there's going to be war at this point. And it's going to be, it's not going to be pretty. Okay, so those are the three letters. Now, the Rambam then says that Ammon and Moab, however, ain't sholchan lehem Now listen to what, I, let me make the point better than I made it last week. Amalek, yes. The seven nations, yes. Ammon and Moab, no. Now, this is a Pasuk in Parshas Kiseitse. Uh, now, normally you say it means don't try to be nice to them. That's not, the Rambam says, being nice, Lidro Shlomom, don't be Dore Shlomom means when you're going to battle them, you don't send them a peace option. So Amru Chakamim, Lefisha Namar Bekaros Olel Shalom, Yochel Amon Moav Kain Talmud Talmud Lo Marlo Sidra Shloma. So the Rambam quotes chapter and verse. The Rambam quotes word for word the Sifrei that says that when the Torah says don't search out their peace, it means when you're in a war situation with them, do not give them the option. What does it mean, don't search out their betterment, their tov? So we know that the Torah writes when an escaped uh, slave comes to you, it says, Im that you have to let the slave who escapes to you, who's escaping to Israel, you have to give him a place to live. Once again, do Ammon and Moab get this? No, they do not. If one of theirs decides that he's just wanting to, he, he runs out with the white flag or whatever it is, and he wants us to, you know, to, no, we don't take care of him. But if they find out, meaning if somehow they figure out, and they say, look, we know you're coming. Is it possible you'll, you won't kill us? Is there an option? Okay, but we don't tell them about the option. So that's the way the Rambam looks at this. And, and, and according to the Rambam, if somebody, if, if a ruler would decide in a battle with Ammon and Moab to be Doresh their Sholom, then they would be over uh, this Avera. 
That is the Rambam's opinion. That Ammon and Moab do not get Jerish Hashanah. They are spit out. Now again, um, why? Now, you could say, what's Xeris HaKosov? So let's take a look at that Pasuk, shall we? All right, so let's take a look at Amon and Moab. Well, Yovo Amoni Moavi Adonai, Gam Now, what does that mean that Amon and Moab? We saw the Ramam says we when we attack them, we we don't tell them about the the surrender option, which means we're basically going to eliminate them, because if they don't know about it, then we can go in there and we'll see. We're gonna we can basically kill. Uh, and we'll see how how intense we could fight them. But what's so bad about Amon and Moab? So as we can see here, Amon and Moab cannot be part of Kal Adonai. Now, what does that mean, the Kal Adonai? That means, as Rashi says, lo yisa Yisraelis, meaning they can convert, but they are they can never marry a full-fledged Jew someone who is a complete Yisraelis. They can marry others. They can marry other, uh, you know, other Amon and Moabites who, who convert and possibly, possibly, um, uh, right? Possibly the, uh, the uh, another Ger that can possibly, uh, but they cannot uh, marry uh, a Yisraelis. That is the Pusik. Now, Ad Olam, ever. And that, of course, was the reason why Rus, even though she was a convert, no one denied the fact that she was a Jew, but she couldn't marry Boaz, according to the ones who felt that this included women. That, that these, they, and therefore a child that is born from a union of, this was the argument, of a Moabite could also never marry, would be just like, that's what it says, Adolam would carry the stigma like a mamzer. And that's why David Amelech, who was known to be a descendant of Rus, who was a convert, was considered verboten to be part of the Jewish people. That was an argument that, that was actually, that, was, that, that even as Shaul took him as a son-in-law, but just like, you know, when we talk about, you know, political canards, this was a canard that hung around David's neck as almost his whole uh, tenure as a king was that he was, he shouldn't have been able to be considered marry, to be marrying a, a, a full-fledged Jewess. And there were others that said David HaMelech didn't perhaps even have the right he, to become king because he, he has the stigma of being a, uh, a, a, a from, from Moab. Uh, Robert Kivalevich? Yes. You would think that Moab and Amon are the closest tribal group to, to us. Okay. Yeah? And yes. yet, yet, yet there's a prohibition. It's, it's very, it's fascinating. I am just sharing with you. Dr. Kogan is saying it because of Abraham's connection, because Abraham, uh, we know Amon and Moab are from Lot. So they basically share very much our DNA, right? They, they, are, they are from Avram's brother's lineage. They're Avram's brother's grandchildren. That's where it comes from. Even right. saved from Sodom. So there was some, uh, some merit to them. Now, the Torah says the reason is, So there's... there's um, the fact quality to them. So, right? <laughs> so according to this, the reason why was because of how they reacted to us. Um, that we, although again, you would think during this period there were still miraculous ways God could take care of us, that doesn't put these guys off the hook. Why weren't they there? Why weren't they there with? with bread and water. Why weren't they there with bread and water when they knew these people were passing by? Yep. And the other issue was 
is that we know they were behind, Moab was behind Bilam. Bilam's involvement, although God protected us, we know that, and we blame all, even ones that find God and want to convert, <laughs> connected to their ancestors' actions. It's, it's, it's communal punishment in a way, and it's even more than that. I'm going to read you the Sefer Achinuch in a minute. But here's the Pasuk the Rambam was quoting. Which, right? So that, and therefore, as a people, they never, peace means peace when you have a reason to go to war with them. They don't get the options that others do. Now, um, the Ramban on this Pasuk says, let's take a look at the Ramban. Now, um, now, here's the Ramban, not like the Rambam, and you'll see it here. I hope everybody can see the, the board here. All right. So the Ramban says, he quotes the Sifre that the Rambam quotes about not calling for, you don't, you don't need to give them the peace option. Vahanira Eli, the Ramban says, ki milchamas amon moav asra He says that we, it's, according to the Rambam, you could fight them and when you do fight them, you don't tell them about the option of saving them. And therefore, when you do battle with them, you're probably going to, if you win, you're going to be able to kill all the males, uh, all the adult males. And you're allowed to do that, just like you are in any Mulchemes Rishos. The Ramban, though, says that we are, that we are not allowed to uh, wage war with them at all. He says, I think I'm going to move Osra Kosavalena Lidoros. Because the Pasuk says, Al Titgarba. As you can see, Al Totsaras Mov, Al Titgarba, Muhama. Now, the Rambam and the Ramban argue about this Pasuk, which I'll show you in a couple of minutes. The Ramban says this Pasuk, which is Moshe Rabbeinu describing B'nai Yisrael's traveling circuitously in the desert to get to Israel, the Ramban says that this Pasuk is a command for all time. The Rambam says it was a command only for the period when they were traveling. They weren't supposed to start off with Moab. Now, let's take a look. So again, let's look at the Ramban's proof. The Ramban says, look at the Pasuk. It says, Yerusha. You won't be able to annex their land. I'm giving it to Lot. Now, that is what was told to um, was told to Moshe. And that's the reason why they did not, on their way into Israel, start up with Moab. Now it turned out that. They weren't going to fight with them anyway, but Moab came out saber-rattling and didn't bring them anything to eat. Okay, so the Ramban says, but they really couldn't go into war with them anyway. That's what the Pasuk says. He says, he says, Eino mitzvah was shobilvad, avol he mitzvahs lo sasei In fact, sort of what Dr. Kogan was saying, this is the lotz um, heritage. Lot, who is a, a figure that the Torah gives a tremendous amount of space to, right? Lot gets mentioned as Avram's friend who went along with Avram. Um, he was involved, as, as you said, Dr. Kogan, saved from stone, but also he, as Chazal tell us, he could, have, he could have blown the whistle on Avram many times. And there was actually a love between the two Lot gets 
his land and his descendants, although they became his descendants through incest, those descendants can keep that land and we are supposed to stay away from them. We're supposed to let them have that land. We're not supposed to conquer it. Now, does that mean we can never fight Ammon or Moab? Someone who's a descendant of Ammon or Moab? No. But let's say they, one of the Ammonites or Moabites, go out of their country that was given to them, biblically, let me say this better. According to the Ramban, this Pasuk says that this piece of territory, the Moab piece of, and you can see it on maps, Wikipedia maps, Tanakh maps, that is their Eretz Yisrael. That is their land granted to them by God forever. That is the land of Moab and Ammon that needs to be theirs forever. And that can never be become part of greater Israel. And the God denies that to them for, for us to try to take it from them. However, if they become um, imperious, if they decide to, uh, to become colonialists and to move into some other country and make an outpost, and we decide to meet them there, so lo we don't have to call, we don't have to uh, give them a peace option. Or let's say they decide to invade us. If they, um, if they decide to start up with us, then we can go after them. Rabbi Kivalevich, is yes. the, I mean, I understand that in the prime ministers of Israel have generally not been from people, to say the least, but is this the basis for the decision in 1967 to offer to Jordan, which I think contains some of that land, <laughs> um, uh, that if if they would not um, join in the fighting, then we would not. I'm, that's I'm that's a, you know a fascinating that. possibility. We know, Bob, that the Rambam and others have told us that the original um, citizens of these lands have all been displaced. And, right, Sancheirv came. So... Moab, if we could find the original Moabites, the original Ammonites, they would have a right to stay in their in, in their territorial lands if we could figure what that out what that what that is out. Um, so I, I think that even if Jordan does align, and I'm not sure it does exactly, I'm not so good at this geography. Even if Jordan does align to the original Moab um, uh, country. Um, I do not believe that uh, we would say whoever's living there can't we can't start up with them, because it's it's, it's the point is Bob they're the B'nai Lot, the <laughs> B'nai Lot they're not the B'nai Lot right they're probably they've probably been brought in there from some other uh, yeah far, spe- far uh, flung place especially the dynasties but dynasties from the Arabian Peninsula and the, the rest of Bedouins it's all very problematic but in terms of territory they do the, you know the capital Amman is after Amon yeah I, I don't deny that the names are well, built on the biblical Amonites. names but I don't believe the, the denizens of those countries are actually the the, the B'nai Lot you are, you are absolutely correct now um, so so when can we? So when is it that we can fight them? We can fight them if on a, in some other country where we're both fighting. Let's say the king of Israel uh, is, is, is has his imperialistic uh, demands and wants to extend Israel, and the king of Moab wants to extend something. So then they could battle over there. Another place, the Ramban says, 
is let's say they decide to start up with us. So if they decide to start up with us, then God's, when God says, remember what God said, God said, which means don't start a war with them and don't do military actions against those original Moabites or Ammonites. Now, but if they start up with us and they want to conquer us and, and become a threat to Jewish lives, then we have a right to go into that country even the one that was given to them by God, and to and to protect our life of, against theirs, because as he says, because they're the ones who try to kill us, so we have a right to go in there and to punish and to do battle even in the original country of Moab. What's the Ramban's proof? From Tanakh, from what Yiftach did in Sefer Shoftim. And that, as you can see, was that was, that was part of Amon. Our or our, our, our to Minit, I totally butchered that, I'm sorry. Those were parts of Amon. And the reason why those became conquered was because it was an outgrowth of a, uh, of a war that they started. David did the same thing. David conquered many of the cities of Bnei Amon. Bavur Shekhem Partsu Ageter Tchila Venilchamabo. Because they started up with us. And in, in such a situation, when we say we're coming back at you even stronger, we don't have to call them Bisholom. Vinaku Binilchamim Banu. And when we attack them, we can kill out. Um, uh, as you can see here, we can even kill in such a situation, and this gets into another very complex case, that we are allowed, when, when, when we are attacked by a country that wants to kill us, we can fight back, go against, because God's command doesn't apply, of, of leaving them their uh, ancestral land, and, and we can attack them even stronger than um, we would do on, on, on a normal Mohammed Rishus. A normal Mohammed Rishus, as, as the Torah writes, you, you kill out all the males, which is what, they, which is what happened in Midian. <laughs> they killed all the males, and you can, uh, um, you can kill all the males. Uh, but not, in, but you leave the children alive, the adult males. Um, when it comes to this type of war, a war against those that have attacked us, you have a right to 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 take their cities. And if the general decides we're going to kill out their women and children, you can do that as well. And again, the proof is from Sefer Shoftim and from Sefer Shmuel. Um, now, the Ramban goes on. The, um, the he then quotes a, um, a story that occurred in um, Malachim Bays. Now, let me show you what the story was here. This was a, a pact that was reached between the king of Israel and the king of uh, Judah. There was a civil war and then a cold peace. 
And this is an example of a, 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 a during the cold piece, they actually work together with Edom. Politics makes strange bedfellows, right? <laughs> we were fighting Japan to, and we dropped an atom bomb on them. And now, you know, they're part of the G7, right? They're one of our greatest allies. So, and, and they, were, they became our ally, you know, within years of, 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 of the war that we had with them. And the same is true about Germany. It shouldn't surprise us because similar things happen in Nevi'im. Let's take a look. Yehorim ben Achav, Molach al Yisrael, Bishomron. So Achav's son, Yehoram, was the king of Israel. At that point, the king of, of Judah, and us Southerners are, will appreciate this because we hear this name a lot. I don't know if it's Southern, but somehow I know this from some, from some, maybe it's Al Cap, I don't know. Jumpin' Jehoshaphat, where is that from? Is that from, is that from Bob? Is that from Al Cap? I don't know exactly, but somehow Al uh, a nice Jewish cartoonist named Al Cap. But I remember that when I was, Harry, you probably remember that, jumping Jehoshaphat, right? I forgot who, who, who is the one who says that. Maybe it's, but anyway, Yehoshaphat. Yehoshaphat. I think, by the way, um, um, the, the, the Geert Tzedek in Israel became Yehoshaphat, uh, uh, the basketball player, right? You, you, right? Uh, Stoudemire, I think he calls himself Yehoshaphat now, right? I think so. Anyway. So Yehoshaphat and uh, Yehoram became partners. Um, what did they do? Um, Mesha, the king of Moab, he's the guy that sounds the most Jewish. Mesha, Mesha Okay, what did he do? Uh, he used to he he was paying tribute to the Jewish people, but then when Achav died. Mesha decided that he was going to um, he was going to stop paying tribute, and um, and uh, Yehoram decides he's going to make a <laughs> yeah okay thank you so yeah it was Yosemite Sam I knew it was somebody someone someone out there yeah jumping geos at that so anyway um, Yehoram. Uh, decides to make a, a deal with Yehoshaphat. And he says, let's go and, and become a team together and, in order, and, and attack Moab. Okay. Um, and they said, okay, we need to go through Edom to do that. So they teamed up with the king of Edom. So here's Esau's descendants, the king of Edom, together with the two Jewish kings, Yehoram and Yehoshaphat. And um, what they do is they say, we are going to fight Moab. And they call Elisha to see if uh, he can give them some oracle, like an oracle, a vision of what is going to happen in this battle. Anyway, Elisha is quite upset because he hates Yehoram. He's very surprised Yehoshaphat is there. Anyway, after they, uh, after they play music for him, he's able to get his prophecy back. And he said, there's gonna, It's going to rain like crazy. Now, that rain is going to happen tomorrow. Now there's a drought. That's going to be the sign that you guys are going to be victorious against Moab. And what are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to um, basically attack every fort, city that has a fort in it, in every important town. And you're going to destroy all the good trees. The whole mine mine tistomo. You're going to attack Moab and you're going to just like Sherman, like we talked about last week, not, not Peabody's friend Sherman, but actually General Sherman. You're going to um, uh, just destroy every tree. You're going to ruin every um, spring and you're going to 
place terrible, you're going to place big boulders on all the fertile ground and stuff isn't going to grow there. Anyway, it turned out that, that Moab got fooled because they thought that the sunrise and the water made it look like there was blood. So they thought that somehow the three armies against them had all died and uh, they, didn't, they became confused. And then as we saw, what happened was that uh, Yisrael was able to attack and they basically uh, destroyed the cities and they did exactly what Elisha said was going to happen. And um, the king of Moab did an incredible thing then, which is a whole different story. I'm sure you're aware of it. What he did was he took his, he took his oldest son and um, he sacrificed his oldest son to God openly. Uh, and then there was a ketzef on B'nai Yisrael. Again, this is the reason why Nevi'im is so fascinating, because there's so many elements here that are, are problematic and what was happening. And now all of a sudden, this union, although Elisha said we were going to be successful, somehow the king of Moab was able to generate negative uh, reaction from God by his sacrificing of his own son. Okay, let's leave that alone. But what most of you should notice here is that there was an attack on Moab. Now, did Moab mean to uh, start up with us? Moab said, I'm not paying any money anymore. I'm not paying the mafia. I'm not paying the money to Ahab's descendants. I'm not giving Yehoram any money anymore. I'm no longer paying tribute, which is sort of like rebelling against the yoke of Mo Moab's rebellion. All right. But there's something also going on here. What's going on here is, is that Moab, it was the prophet seemed to say, we're going to destroy, you're going to win this war and you are going to decimate the land. Now, those of you that remember from last week, what we saw last week was that you aren't supposed to, at least according to the Rambam, engage in such psychological warfare to just to just to just punish them and turn their fertile valleys into into piles of rock, and yet this is what occurred in Sefer Melachim. How are we supposed to understand this? So I'm going to tell you how the Ramban understands it, but the Rambam knew about this as well. So I want to show you two Rambams first, and then we're going to come back to this Ramban. Okay, first let's deal with the idea that you don't wage war with, you don't start up with Ammon and Moab. And the Rambam clearly says you do. Because the Rambam says that you have a right to attack them if you feel you want to extend uh, and annex Israel. And you don't even have to tell them that they have a surrender option. That's the Rambam on record. The Ramban disagrees. Okay, because Ramban says, but God said to Moses, God said to Moshe, and, and Moshe told us that in the beginning of Sefer Dvarim, do not attack them. So well, the Rambam deals with that, and I'm going to read that to you right now. The Rambam in the Sefer Mitzvah and Shorish Gimel writes, that we do not count mitzvahs that are not meant to be forever. The Rambam says the proof is 613 mitzvahs were given at Sinai. What does that mean at Sinai? They weren't all at Sinai, right? But Sinai is another code for mitzvahs that we need to fulfill for all time. Mitzvahs that, that are there for that time, for example, that the uh, Levium would carry the Kalim of the Mishkan. That was a very severe command. Or the fact that um, the, 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 the original command that you had to marry within your own tribe. There was a command, and originally when the Jews came into Israel, that you had to marry within your own tribe. You couldn't intermarry. All of those were commands that were binding at the time, but those weren't 
mitzvos from Sinai. How does the Rambam know this? Because one of the things God said at Sinai was, come up to me and get the Torah. And what does that mean? That means the mitzvos that we're going to have forever. That's what Sinai is. Some of them were given post-Sinai. But Sinai is another way of saying, Sinai is another way of saying the mitzvos that are part of Klal Yisrael's heritage forever. Now, some, the Rambam says, there have been people like the Bahag who make mistakes, and they count as a mitzvah that you cannot look at the keum of the Beis HaMikdosh. Now that is, a, when the Kohanim came to put uh, wrappers on the keum of the Beis HaMikdosh, it says, Lo yiru liros kodesh, which means you cannot stare at those keum. That was only when there was a mishkan. That's not knowing Wadoros. And he says they also count the love of what? I says, I'm surprised at them that they count the love. He says, he says, if you count the love, don't look. The, he says, he says, if you count the love, don't look at the kalim of the Besamikdash when you're covering them. Which never occurred again. Once, once the base of Mikdash was built, the, the Kalim don't travel anywhere. Why didn't they count what it says in the Mun? You can't leave the Mun over. That should be a lotase. Don't leave owner of the Mun. Or Al Tatser Es Moav, Val Titkarbon Obviously, those are not mitzvos Lidoros. They were only for the time. So here we have the Machlokas, the Rambam, and the Ramban. The Rambam says, despite the fact that God gives this rationale that it's based on Asa, based on Lot, the Rambam says that was at that time while God felt strategically we should not start up with them. And he gave a rationale behind it. But it was all about getting to Israel. Once things become solid, all of those commands of the desert are not really commands. Um, are you going to say there's a command to, to take a piece of the mun, it says that you're supposed. God said to to Moshe, take a, a, a vial of mun and hide it away. Do you think that's a command from one of the 613 mitzvos, or the command to get ready for Har Sinai for three days? All of that is all historical uh, demands that were made that needed to be listened to, but that's not called the Torah. That's not called mitzvos. So that the, Ram, the Ramban says, I agree with you, but not as far about Moab, not starting up with Moab, the fact that God gives that rationale shows that it's a command forever. Okay, so that's that. Now let me show you something else that the Rambam writes. The, remember, we just saw that Elisha gave, told the Elisha told the threesome that they were going to they were going to devastate the country. Okay, so let me show you what the Rambam writes about that that what Elisha said. This is a little bit of a uh, of a Rambam that some people aren't familiar with. It's again, it's in his introduction to the Parish Mishnayot. In the Rambam's introduction to Mishnayos, he talks a lot about what prophecy and how prophecy and Torah work together. He says, once you have a prophet that is clearly a prophet that you can trust, and he's like someone like Shmuel or Leo, so that prophet has the right, Yesh 
That prophet can do things that no other Jew can do. What can he do? He could command you to not do a mitzvah. He can say, we're not doing this mitzvah. Or he can tell you, he can command you to do an Avera. And if that, once the prophet is a prophet, he's shown that he's a prophet that has predicted the future, and we know that he speaks the word of God, he now is able to tell people to violate the Torah. And in fact, if you don't listen to him, you are guilty of death for not violating the Torah when he told you to do it. Now, the only difference is Avodah Zarah. He cannot tell you to do Avodah Zarah. But any other Avera, if he says, I'm a Navi, God wants this to be done now, you need to listen. But the Rambam says he doesn't say it forever. He doesn't say, I've changed the Torah. He doesn't say, I'm Jesus, and I'm coming here to tell you the Torah is no longer true. There's, we, for the next day, we aren't going to be keeping kosher. For the next day, we are going to be slaughtering korbanos outside of the Beis HaMikdash. He does not say, God commands you, la'asos kach v'kach ledoros. It's called hora'atsho. For this time, it needs to be done. Trust me, I'm a prophet. I know what I'm talking about. Now, you can ask him, um, Navi, is this going to be forever? And he should answer you, no, no, we're, it's not forever. We're doing it now for the next five weeks. We're doing it now for the next month. We're doing it now for the next two years. But for the next two years, we're going to be doing this. Eliyahu did that. Who else did it? The Rambam says who else did this was Elisha did that. Elisha did that when he commanded Israel to fight Moab, not the fighting of Moab, which according to the Rambam, you're allowed to fight Moab, but the way Moab was, was fought against. Lichros ate spree to destroy all the fruit and to attack the way they did, and to just be like Sherman and do psychological warfare and be destructive? You don't know how to do that, the Rambam says, that's Baltashkis. And if they would have asked Elisha, why are you be commanding this? He would say, you know what? I'm not saying that the Torah doesn't say it's ulcer, but God wants it to be done now. So that is the Rambam responding to the Ramban's points. Point number one. When it says, don't attack Moab, that was a mitzvah with Shaw. And this, that they attacked Moab so totally and completely and, and, and was so merciless, that was a special consideration. Normally, you have no right to attack any nation with such fervor and such psychological destruction. But according to the Ramban, the mitzvah of not attacking Moab is a mitzvah forever, unless they start up with you. Now, the Ramban is going to have to explain the reason why they, um, they attacked at the time of Elisha was because, again, either it was Ahira Shah, but not the business about destroying all their water supplies. That's what you do to any enemy. When you win a war, that's the way you fight wars, as we said last week. The Ramban points out, we'll just finish with this, that it, what Elisha, Elisha didn't say that we're annexing the land. Yes, we're conquering it, and we've got our troops there, but technically it's not Israel. It belongs still to the B'nai Lot. Now, I didn't really get into the, the deeper um, ethical issue here, which is how can we um, fend off these people for what they did? How can we say that they can't be part of the Jewish people? 
How could it be so cruel? What was going on for the people who, who felt Rus was, could not be part of the Jewish people? So I just want to read to you one last thing tonight from the Sefer HaKinuch. Okay. The Sefer HaKinuch says the reason why we don't allow them to marry our girls, he says, what is Gemilas Chesed about? The Torah wants us to hate them, to see how disgusting those acts were of, not, of, of lack of kindness. We didn't ask for filet mignon. We asked for water bottles and, 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 and crackers, lechem and mayim. Who was coming there? Now, Mitzrayim, in a way you could say, enslaved us. We let Mitzrayim, we let Mitzrayim into us after the third generation. What does that show you? That shows you, yes, that in slavery was bad news. But this one is so bad, it's called the Nevela, Nevela Achas Gedola. It's worse than the enslavement of a whole people. The fact that all of them agreed that we're not giving them any water at all or any food, that showed that publicly they were not afraid to show how evil they were and how much, how tachos prisususo. And therefore, that shows you there's no way they can become good. And it's so bad that we, doesn't, we don't feel it could ever change. And therefore, we don't want such a person in Am HaKadosh. Now, I read this to you from the Sefer HaChinuch. I personally find this very difficult to swallow. <laughs> Not because I am a liberal or because I have a certain political bent. The Sefer HaKinuch is dealing with the essential ethical issue here of treating Ammon and Moab. And again, according to the Rambam and the Ramban, either way, the, the main thing is they can't become part of us, the men folk. And the reason is, is because they didn't come and bring us the water, the Torah says. Okay. Come, the Sefer HaKinuch, just to reiterate, says that one act is not innocuous. The fact that it shows, and everybody was part of that. Nobody broke ranks. None of them broke ranks. That shows, as he says again, it, it, even though it, a, 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 such an ugly, complete act that is somehow worse than the litany of complaints we have about the cowardice of the Egyptian people or the Mitzri people that let us become enslaved and listen to their demagogues. That one act makes, shows that they're worse and therefore, we need to protect our DNA and can't allow it to be polluted. Now, again, I, I don't read this to you giving it with my approbation. I read it to you to make you think about what's bothering the Sefer Chinuch and to perhaps question his answer. Um, you know, as, as, as Dr. Kogan said, they seem to be the, are genetically very close to us. And yet, we will never allow them to be part of us in a real way. They can be Jews and keep mitzvahs, but they can never marry from within us. And that is something which, again, um, can we damn the descendants forever because of what the ancestors did? This was a medieval mindset that that is the case. But again, I leave it here because I think it is very, very, again, troubling how we're dealing uh, with our cousins here in this way. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 